are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equipping organizations to do the same for their employees. So I bring on guests with a particular perspective or experience that I think expands the conversation. And I often draw on the meeting and work research I've conducted over the last 15 years, as well as my own consulting work that I do, including the work that I do today in Cydium, which is a global management consulting firm. I'll get to the program in just a second, but a big thank you to my media partner and sponsor, Jobbing.com. They are the leading locally focused job board in the nation, and they are dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard and giving job seekers control over their search so they can find work close to home. Great partnership. Thank you, Jobbing.com. Last week, if you missed the show live, you can always catch the recorded podcast. We were on the air with Sean Anderson, who is a six-time motivational author, an inspiring keynote speaker, and a results-producing people builder. We talked about how people can recreate themselves to live a, a life with more passion and work toward greater purpose. And it was a timely show, given that many people are working furiously to launch their New Year's resolutions. Although Sean says, every day is January 1st. <laughs> with us this week is Jeff Hayden, a speaker, ghostwriter, LinkedIn influencer, contributing editor of Inc. Magazine and the author of the newly released The Motivation Myth, How High Achievers Really Set Themselves Up to Win. We'll be talking about what we can learn from high achievers and famous people about motivation, a different approach to looking at goals, and how we can infuse more purpose into our daily work lives. Jeff joins us today from Virginia Beach, Virginia, which, which is where he says it's actually snowing. Jeff, welcome to Working on Purpose. Oh, thank you, Elise. This is the highlight of my week, and once we're done talking, it's all downhill from downhill from here, unfortunately. I don't believe a word of that, but I'm glad <laughs> oh, to hear it anyway. <laughs> I'm, I'm being sincere. <laughs> okay, good. I'm really, I'm really glad to talk to you and, and your audience, and it's great, so thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Um, this this particular topic is one of my very, very, very favorites. I've had a lifetime fascination with motivation, Jeff, and I, as I told you when we first spoke, I know I'm going to get a ton out of this conversation. I know our listeners will too, but I'm really riveted on it, getting something for myself. So let's get into it. So before we even talk about you and your career, and I do want to hear something about that, let me just start by asking the burning question that most of us probably have is, what have you learned by talking to famous people about how they look at motivation and goals? Uh, all right. The, probably the best way to illustrate that is I'll, I'll use one example. <clears throat> I was talking to Venus Williams, which, you know, if you're going to drop a name, that's a good name to drop. Yeah. Uh, and we were talking about her career. It, it, most people know her as a tennis player, but she also does a variety of other things. She runs a design firm. She has a fitness wear company. Um, she's getting a master's in interior design. She has all kinds of interests, and, and that basically makes her what I like to call a serial achiever, which we can certainly talk about later. But the interesting thing about it is she does all of these things at an extremely high level, but at no point does she say that she ever had this lightning bolt moment where she thought, okay, you know, I want to be a tennis player and I want to be, you know, number one in the world and win Grand Slams. She wanted, she was interested in tennis. Clearly her father uh, got her and Serena interested in tennis, but it was an interest that became a passion through trying learning a little bit, feeling good about what she learned, getting a little bit better, feeling good about 
getting better. That motivated her to want to keep getting better. And so I thought about that, and I thought about all the other people that I've talked to that are incredibly successful, and not a single one of them points to this one moment that I think popularly we think people have where it strikes them that this is my life's work, this is my life's purpose, and I will go on for the next 50 years doing this because I have been struck by that lightning bolt. And I thought that was really interesting because if you contrast that to a lot of the people that I talk to who say they feel stuck or that they say they haven't really found what it is they really want to do that gives their life purpose and meaning, they're waiting for that moment to hit them. And so I, I, we can talk about that further, but the, the juxtaposition of that I think is really interesting because the people who have achieved a lot didn't wait. They just tried something. And the people who feel stuck and don't feel like they've achieved what they want to, they're waiting for that to hit them. Oh, Jeff, that is so yummy. And yes, I do want to talk more about that because it is smack up my alley of the kind of work that I've been doing to help people focus on that as well. And you're right. I think people are waiting and they're hoping for that lightning bolt that strikes them. I think that's exactly right. And they get frustrated when it doesn't hit them. And and well, so and the other thing that happens, I'm sorry, the other thing no, please, that happens go ahead. is that people always assume, or a lot of people, I think, assume that whatever they choose it's this lifelong decision. So if I decide I want to be, I don't know, pick something, a teacher, then I have to be a teacher for the next 45 years. And if I get 15 years in and decide I want to do something else, then I wasted that first 15 years, which high achievers don't look at it that way. They look at it as, wow, I took this really far. I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot. Now I'm interested in whatever else that might be, and I will bring all of those experiences and skills and all of that knowledge with me to whatever my new pursuit is. So there's that idea that I can only pick one thing, and that's crippling, and, you know, excuse me, it kind of makes people paralyzed, because how do you know that you've picked the right thing? Mm. I also appreciate that, too, because I do think it does paralyze people and and people get concerned with, wow, how do I pick the one right thing to do in this big old world out there? Right. And what if I what if I get 10 years into it and now I decide that I don't really like it anymore? Well, I'm kind of stuck, but I don't think you are stuck. Um, I think you can be a number of different things. One of my favorite things is to hear people. You know, you hate that question at a party where somebody says, what do you do? You know, (laughs) that's pretty dull. But I love when people say, well, I'm this and I'm that and I'm something else. I love the people that are and because that means that Mm. you're following several different things that you're interested in and they all overlap in some way and cause you to have a richer life. Um, And in some ways that helps you blur that whole line between work-life balance, which, you know, I think is a myth in and of itself. Um, It's just life and how you apportion it is up to you. Um, But when you have different interests, you are much more likely to find one that really makes you feel good about yourself and what you do. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I have, to, I have to share, Jeff, to that. And when I go to any social event, I don't ask anybody what they do because <laughs> some people don't actually work or they don't want to work or they do other things. So I've learned to ask, what do you pour yourself into? Right. And when I, when I ask people that question, wow, I get it. Just, I mean, all kinds of responses and usually a lot of ands, like you said. So I, I like that and indication, too, for me. Um, well, on the other side of it is that sometimes what you do it does, isn't the thing that defines you. That's right, you know, or that really motivates you. Right. It may be the springboard to what defines you, but it may not be the central thing that defines you. Mm-hmm. I, I know that because of the research that I've done. Absolutely know that. 
And and speaking of that, Jeff, I'm I'm very curious. I think you are a very curious person, by the way. That's how I, that's how I talk about you. How did you get interested in learning about motivation in the first place? Uh, that's pretty simple too. The some people do big things. Some people try to do big things, but the word do is part of it because if you're going to achieve something and be successful, you have to do and that usually an external force won't carry you through the hard times. So if you have some external motivation for what you're doing, then when times get tough, it's really easy to bail. But if you have found within yourself what interests you and that spark inside you that keeps you going, that's usually what gets you past the barriers and the hurdles and the challenges. And that's what, well, that but that keeps you in it for the long haul, if, if for no, for want of a better way to put it. Um, and so the... Mm-hmm. You know, you can look at the end result and say, wow, this person did X, Y, Z and got to this place. But I think what's really interesting is how did they find the effort, the willpower, the perseverance, the work ethic, all of those qualities that caused them to be able to do X, Y, and Z. And I think that's, you know, that's the start. Mm-hmm. Well, you, I could tell a story now, but I won't because I want to make sure we have enough time for you. But that whole notion of oh, intrinsic motivation when nobody do. has to... Oh, okay. Nobody has to tell you, you know, to do this. So my quick story is this, Jeff. So years ago, when my daughter was very young, she's now 14, um, her dad and I used to talk about, you know, what kind of work that she could do. And he, as a financial guy, used to say, she could do anything she wants to do, as long as she's an investment banker or an accountant. And I was like, ah, oh, you know, have you met her? I really don't think that's going to be the right way for her to throw her talents into the world. So how about we just kind of observe her first and see what emerges, and then we'll nurture what kind of shows up. Well, what showed up was she wanted to be a chef. And so I said, all right, well, let's get her a website. Let's get her cards. She had Gabby's gastronomy written on her business card. She peddled them door to door. And the thing that kind of illustrates what you're talking about here is that we would go on vacation, the three of us, and she'd be the first person that got up in the morning, like even five o'clock in the morning, back when she was like eight, nine, ten. And she would find a cooking show on TV and she'd watch the whole thing. And then she would take whatever she learned in that cooking show and she'd make us breakfast. So the thing that's beautiful about that is that it's it shows that nobody had to ask her to do that. She would have done that for you know if nobody had asked her or even asked her not to do it because it was intrinsically motivating to her. That is power, I think, when you can really unleash that kind of motivation in yourself. It's it's almost unstoppable. It seems, right. and, and that, no different. What that actually leads to is is something that I write about, and it's you know she had the power of process on her side, so. Yeah, she wanted to be a chef, but what one of her processes was to watch something, try to figure it out and absorb it, and then put it into action. And if it went well, that's great. You feel good about yourself. If it doesn't go so well, you learn from that. But each one of those successive steps gives you the motivation to try again the next day because you got some feedback from yourself about your effort and how you did, and you got to feel good about the effort part. And that's that to me is something that sets successful people apart oftentimes is that they don't focus necessarily on the end goal. Like she was, she wanted to be a chef, but what she focused on on a daily basis was what process can I follow that will get me a little bit closer to that end goal. And so a lot of Mm. successful people I know, they set this big goal, but then it's almost like they forget it. And what they do is they focus every day on the process that they they have developed that they feel will help get them to that end goal. Because otherwise you're stuck with mm-hmm. that gulf between here and there. If I've never cooked before and I want to be a world-class chef, you know, the first time I try to make scrambled eggs and it doesn't go too well, 
and I think about what the world-class people are doing, the, the distance from here to there is way too wide, and it's defeating, and it makes you feel bad, and you give up because, wow, how will I ever do that? But if all you're setting out to do today is learn to make scrambled eggs, and I know this is a terrible example, but work with me, and you do it better today <laughs> than you did yesterday, then you feel good about that. You can move on to the next day because you accomplished what you set out to do today. And that's really the point. It's not to look way out and say how much farther I have to go. It's just to say, hey, I set out to do these things today. I did them. I feel good about myself. This was a good day. I can't wait till tomorrow to have another good day. Oh, I think it's just so refreshing to hear you talk about how you how you bring this to life for people. And I, I know I've already I've gotten something from your book already and from our first conversation. And and I wanted to also hear you say a little bit more. You you hinted at it earlier, but first, you know, why did you start studying famous people? How did you get access to them? And I know that you've also <laughs> told me that they look at motivation and goals differently than us maybe everyday people do. And I'd love to hear you presence that for us. Uh, the well, the the part about getting access was a process in and of itself. I, I write for Inc., um, <laughs> but I didn't have much of an audience, and so I couldn't get in front of those folks, but there was a certain, for want of a better way to put this, there was a certain level of entrepreneur or athlete or entertainer, whatever the, the industry, that I could get in front of. And so if I did a good job with talking to them, getting insights from them, creating content that people really liked, then I had something to show Again, for want of a better way to put it, the person that was at that next level up. And so it was just a process. It's like, okay, I'm starting here. I can't get Richard Branson today, (laughs) but I can get these people. (laughs) And then if you build a little bit, then you can get these people, and then you can get these people. And one day I eventually found myself in front of Richard Branson, um, and he forced me to eat half of his sandwich because he wanted to eat, and he was hungry, but he didn't want to eat alone, (laughs) you know, which is another story. Um, But it was, a, it was a process. But if I, when I had started, if I had looked out and said, wow, I want to talk to Branson or Cuban or Venus or, you know, you name it, it, I would have never gotten there because all those doors would have been shut to me and I would have given up. But I just focused on, okay, how do I build this? And that to me is what really sets successful entrepreneurs apart. If they want to have a $100 million business, Okay, you can't get that overnight unless you're extremely lucky. But what you can do is build your base, keep working your way up, keep satisfying customers, keep growing. It's a process, not some overnight success story. Got that. Now, you also, and I want to hear you if you can distinguish this, because you and I talked about this briefly in our phone conversation when we first met. Um, how, how do famous people look at motivation and goals? How would you describe that? Is it that process you're talking about, or is there more to it? Uh, for most of them, it's, it, they work backwards. So where do, where do I want to be? What, what do I want to be okay. at some point? And then they work backwards and say, okay, what have other people done that allowed them to get to that point? And what processes can I adopt? What things can I mimic? There are all these perfectly good wheels out there that you don't have to reinvent. You know, and if you look closely and say, okay, if it worked for this person, then you know, I'm going to do that. And you may make some course corrections along the way, but you can, you can get there without having to come up with something that is totally unique just to you. Um, so that, 
that to me is probably the biggest difference. They figure out a goal, and then they work backwards and say what is involved. And they don't shy away from the hard work that's involved in some of those steps. Uh, I think we've been, we've been conditioned to a degree to look for shortcuts and hacks and, you know, easy routes to places. And maybe that works once in a while, but usually it only works for the person that wrote it. Uh, in large part, the successful people that I know outwork, outthink, and outhustle everyone else around them. There is, that is the recipe. It's, there's no secret sauce, really. So they're willing to do the work. And that's the other big part of creating a process is you've got to say, I'm not going to put together what I want to do. I'm not going to set up a process that feels good to me. I'm going to pick out something that if I do it, I will get there. And then you just sit down to do the work. And if you construct it properly so that you have little milestones along the way where you can enjoy those little successes that help keep you motivated, then the road doesn't seem nearly so long. Mm-hmm. I have to tell you know that really quick, Jeff, just because of the research that I've done and, and the work that I've been doing over the years, really investigating how people find meaning in their work and their lives, too, is it, that when people do work like that, when they work really hard at something and they have something comes to, to, to pass for that, there's a tremendous amount of satisfaction in that. In other words, part of the effort is what makes for the fulfillment, right? Exactly. Yeah, oh yeah, the, think about the best, think about a day lately when you've gone home and you felt really good about your day. It wasn't one where you got lucky. It wasn't one where nope. a, a client or an opportunity dropped into your lap. I mean, that's fun. But the days where you feel really good is where you had something challenging that you set out to do and you worked hard and you worked your way through it and you got to the other end and you did a really good job at it. And the fatigue, whether mental, physical, emotional, whatever it is that you feel at the end, that contributes to that good feeling because you've got that, wow, I worked hard and I feel good. That's that front porch moment where I had a good day. A good day is not, you know, it's great if you get lucky and, and get a new customer. It's great if you buy a new house, but the new house feeling goes away. But you can experience that, wow, I worked hard and I did what I set out to do today, you can experience that feeling every day. And that's one you get to control. Yes, sir. Yes, I know. And I know how powerful that is for fulfillment and satisfaction. I know that. Um, let me, let's talk about this a little bit. We might continue to after the break. But I also now I want to compare and contrast. You talked about how famous people look at motivation. <laughs> how do us everyday people look at it? What's the difference? Well, not you, clearly. <laughs> because you're not an everyday person. But, uh, <laughs> Thank you. Thank but if, you. if we think about the, uh, if, if let's put me, let's talk about people like me, um, although hopefully I don't fall into this either. It's, they think of motivation, again, like I talked about early on, is, is something that you get from somewhere. Somehow something happens that causes you to be motivated, whether it's an outside force, whether it's that lightning bolt I talked about. Something there is, something outside of you gives you motivation. And I, The flip side of that for successful people or highly successful people is they see motivation as something they can create. And again, I'm not going to belabor the point, but it goes back to that. I will be motivated if I have a plan, work my plan, enjoy a small success from my plan, feel good about that. That makes me happy. We all love to be happy. We all love to feel good about ourselves. And that motivates you to get up the next day and just do the next day. It doesn't have to carry you through an entire year or decade. It just has to carry you through the next day. And if you have those little successes from working hard and feeling good about yourself, you have an endless supply of motivation. You don't need a wellspring of it. You just need little drips that you create. So the 
the bottom line is you can create your own motivation. You don't have to wait to get it. Oh, I think I hope that I, listeners find that incredibly heartening. I hope that they do. I certainly do, and I understand that. But the way you present that it gives gives us such access to it, Jeff. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, it's very it's it's, it's actually we, an empowering thought because you don't have to wait for anything. Yes. You you can do it yourself. You yes. can create it yourself. And that's that's what I that's one of my big things is empowering people. So part of the reason I, I like to host this show is I'm trying to empower my audience to be able to go after the life and work that they really want. So that was a gem. And with that, hold your thought for just a second, Jeff. It's time for our first break. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Jeff Hayden, the author of the newly released The Motivation Myth, How High Achievers Really Set Themselves Up to Win. He joins us today from Virginia Beach, Virginia. We've been talking a bit about how famous people look at motivation in contrast to the everyday people like us. After the break, we'll get more into goal setting and other things. Stay with us. We'll be right back. us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. It's time to live the life of inner peace that you deserve. Tune in every week for Sacred Exploration with host Lisa Tremont Oda. You can discover the you that has been kept hidden all this time. Show off your personal gifts to the world. Lisa and her guests will combine health and spirituality to bring you the experience that you've been waiting for. You'll enjoy this journey every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's sure to be a nourishing experience. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Jeff Hayden, who is a speaker, ghostwriter, LinkedIn influencer, contributing editor of Inc. Magazine, and the author of the newly released The Motivation Myth, How High Achievers Really Set Themselves Up to Win. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So, Jeff, before the break, we were talking a lot about the contrast 
between how famous, high-achieving people look at motivation and goals and how the rest of us do. I wanted, if we could next, talk a little bit more. You already talked a bit about this notion of how we set goals and then forgetting them, um, and then also some process around that. But because I know many of our listeners have just come off the, <laughs> come off of fresh work of creating resolutions, they're thinking about goals, this is really firm in their mind. Can you say a bit more about both of those topics, about setting a goal and forget, and then that cross process creation that you already alluded to before? Sure. Um, here's an example. Uh, last, not last year, the year before, I I decided to prove that. Uh, well, let me let me take a step back. One of the chapters in my book is work your number, and it's basically a way to create a process that is numbers based, where you do something a certain number of times, and over time that will lead you to a certain result. So it becomes very simple, and it's math and time related. So to prove that that would work even in the silliest of pursuits, um, I decided that I wanted to do 100,000 push-ups in a year. Um, there's no, you know, there's no <laughs> carrot at the end of that. It's just something I decided I wanted to do. So I broke that down and said, okay, that adds up to 374 push-ups a day. So as long as I do the 374 every day, then at the end of the year I get to 100,000. Now, clearly that's kind of a goofy goal, and I'll be the first to admit that. But what that what that kind of takes you to is I was talking to two ladies that started a business and they were trying to get new customers and they were complaining that it took them, you know, five or six cold calls to land every new customer that they got. And they were like, you know, that's it takes so long, it's so much effort, we're not getting much of a return and I said, Well, how many do you need a month? And they said, Well, for the next few months, if we can get, you know, ten new customers, then we're good if we get 10 per month. And I said, well, then, you know, it's pretty simple what you have to do. You just have to figure out a way to make 50 or 60 cold calls every month, <laughs> and you'll get your 10. And they kind of looked at me like I was stupid, but I said, you know, think about it. If, if your strike rate is fairly consistent, then and you have to have those that number of new customers, then that needs to be your mission, and you need to figure out a way to pull that off. Yes, you can. Spend time as you go along trying to refine your pitch, and you can try to get better, and you can try to improve so that hopefully that return rate is better, but you know what you need to do. And so tie that back to my push-ups. If I know I want to do 100,000 push-ups, then I know I need to do 374 a day. So to take that Mm -hmm. to some other place now, to go to that kind of forget your goal, if on January 1st I do 374 push-ups and I pop my head up like a gopher and look out into the distance and see that I've still got 99,000, you know, what, 600 and some left, I'm going to quit because that is way too yeah. far. But if that's all I mm-hmm. have to do today, then... I've accomplished that. I check the box off like Jerry Seinfeld has this calendar where he writes, he still tries to write a good joke every day. And when he does, he checks it off his calendar and he doesn't stop until he does. And over time, he builds up this repertoire. Over time, I can build up a lot of push-ups. And over time, the two ladies that I was talking about builds up a client base. So it's the idea is that you figure out a process that if you follow it, and you know that it's going to give you a certain return, all it is is time. And as long as you can forget the distance and how far you really have to go and just focus on the chunk that you need to do this day, this week, whatever, then it's just time and effort. And so many things in our lives are actually based on a certain amount of effort and a certain amount of time and a whole lot of perseverance. And so if you can stay the course, you can get to that other place. 
Okay, that was crisp. And I like I was actually just heading toward that very word that you use, chunk. And I think that makes so much sense. If you can just say, this is what I've allotted to do that today that I have to get done in pursuit of my overall big hairy goal, and this is all I have to do. And you do it. I, I really I really see the magic in that, Jeff. I especially in the in the consistency. We, we when it within our firm we talk a lot about doing the push ups, right? You as just as you were doing. <laughs> literally doing the push ups related to whatever it is that we set out to achieve for ourselves. And so I think I think that makes that, that that's a really nice way to presence that whole process aspect you were talking about. So thank you for that. I know you felt like we had really talked about it and we had, but I knew for our listeners yeah. there was more we could give them. So great. Well, okay. the cool part about that is if you do that once, then that goes into your toolkit and that goes into your reserve of, wow, I know how that works. And so if you do that once with something and you have some other pursuit that you're interested in and you break it down into those kinds of chunks, then you have the confidence from the last time that you can say, you know what, I've done that before. I know how that works. <laughs> if I do these things, I will get there. And every time you do that, then it becomes clearer to you and it becomes simpler to embark upon it because you've got that confidence of, you know what, I've done that. I know that works. Um, I used to, I still, I, I'm still a, how do I say this? I'm a casual cyclist. For a while I was very into riding bikes um, and I would ride Grand Fondos that were like 100 miles, four mountains, stuff like that. I I know now from having trained for those kinds of things that if I want to go in a, in and do one of those, I need to put about 2,500 miles in my legs, for want of a better way to put it. I need to go out and over a period of time, ride enough within a certain window that I get about 2,500 miles in me. And if I do that, I will be in good enough shape that I can knock that Grand Fondo off. And so while that seems kind of daunting, it's actually very empowering. It makes you feel confident because it's like, I know how to do this. All I have to do is do the work. And sometimes that's the scary thing for people is they think, well, if I do all of this work and I don't get any return, then wow, I'm going to feel like I wasted that. And so it makes you not want to start. So again, the trick is, and I I feel sure we're going to talk about this later when we talk about, uh, I think people should look for pros, not for coaches. But the trick is to go out and look at something where you can say, you know what, that process worked. I know it works. I just have to apply myself to it. And if you do that once or twice, you will never look at things the same way again because you know how to do it. And best of all, you know you can do it. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I really appreciate that you talked about confidence. And I did want to see if you could say a little bit more about just how, you know, in terms of the other ingredients you've been talking about, the other pointers you've given us about how to how to create motivation for ourselves, you know, how to be able to set, you know, work from the numbers, if you will. I'm really interested to understand to what extent or what weight would you give confidence in being able to work toward achievement? How important is that? Well, the... the- the paradox with confidence is if you feel like you haven't really done anything that's super hard and achieved something that is hard to achieve, then you don't really have that, that inner confidence that says, wow, I can actually do that. So you have to take that leap of faith. Uh, the cool part about it is if you scratch the surface of anybody who has done really big things, they all were you at one point. Yep, that's they were right. all unsure, hesitant. And I've got this story. There's, I don't know if anybody in your audience is a NASCAR fan, but car racing. But there's a, there's a guy I know that he, write, he runs in a, a series right below the cup level. Um, so he's 
you know, one of the top, let's say, 100 drivers in the country. Um, first time he went to a really big track in a truck race, he had never been on uh, – it was actually in Texas, now that I think about it. And so it's this big mile-and-a-half track, 200 miles an hour down the straightaways. They told him the truck would – It was. he didn't have to lift. He didn't have to get off the accelerator, and the truck would be fine in the turns. Went down into the turn the first time, lifted couldn't do it. He thought, oh, man, I'm going to hit the wall. He didn't. Goes around again, involuntarily picks his foot up again. So here's a guy who's a very accomplished race car driver who doesn't have the confidence in the car or himself to let it go. And so the next time he actually took one hand off the wheel and held his leg down so he would keep the accelerator <laughs> to the floor so that he would go through the, the turn. And so you, you don't think of a guy like that not having that confidence, but everybody has that problem. The only difference is the people that achieve go ahead and say, you know what, I'm going to try it. If I don't get there, it's okay, but I would rather know I tried than know that I didn't try and wonder what could have been. So Mm -hmm. long, Mm -hmm. long, long answer short, you have to go ahead and try. But if you look for a process that you know works for other people, that does at least give you the confidence that if you try, you can probably get there too. And then once you've done that one hard thing, man, you're ready to roll because the next time you can apply one thing, even if it's in a totally different field to something else and say, well, I did this. Oh, shoot. I can do that. And then you get two of those under your belt and all of a sudden challenges just become, which one do I want to pick? It doesn't become, which one do I think I can accomplish? It becomes, which one from the menu items do I want to pick? Because I know I can do that. And that is a really cool place to be in your life. Yes, it is. Sounds fantastic. Well, and maybe this is related, and you and I talked about this briefly on the phone, and you alluded to it earlier. I'm, I'm curious if this is re- related to what you've been talking about. I, you, have, you said before that people don't need a coach. They need a pro. And then you said, I hope you don't coach. Do you, Elise? <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, but <laughs> what, what do you mean by that? They need a pro. All right. The, it depends on that. That uh, that's a sweeping statement, first of all, um, and it's supposed to be kind of eye-catching. But the point of that is, let's say that you decide, I don't know. Let's say that your new res- your New Year's resolution was that you want to get in better shape. First of all, that's a terrible resolution because what does get in better shape mean? There's no way right. to quantify that. And when you can't right. quantify your goal, it's really hard to work towards your goal. But let's say that you decide that this year you want to run a marathon and you go to your local gym and there's a trainer there and you say, Hey, I want to run a marathon. And so they're going to go through this assessment of where you are and what your interests are and what your fitness level is and all this stuff. And you're going to end up with a program that is sugar coated for you as opposed to the cold, hard facts of if you want to do this thing, this is what you have to do. Uh, the first time that I I rode one of those Grand Fondos. I decided to do it, and I had four months to train. And so I went to a, a local guy who's a professional mountain biker, and he'd been a national champion and won the Pan American Games and all that stuff. And I said, I want to ride this Grand Fondo, but I only have four months, and I've never really ridden. And he laughed, and he said, well, you can't. And I said, no, I really want to try. And he said, okay, if you're going to do that, here's what you have to do. And my first day of training was to go out and ride for three hours. And this is you know, I hadn't ridden for more than 10 minutes. So (laughs) that wasn't what I wanted to hear, but it was what I needed to do. And so that, that kind of is my point with that is if you go to someone and ask for advice or guidance, the people you want to talk to are the people that have done that and have worked through the obstacles and worked through the problems and figured out how to get to where you want to go. 
so that they can tell you very clearly, here's what you have to do. Because if you're going to do something hard, if you're going to accomplish something big, there's a lot of hard work involved. So would you rather take the easier path that is not likely to get you where you want to be and waste what effort you do put into it, or would you rather take the harder path that isn't going to be as fun but is almost certainly going to get you to where you want to go? And mm-hmm. to me, that's a really, really clear choice. And that's the difference between people who just kind of gently coach you and the people who sit you down and are very honest and forthright and professional and nice about it, but clear in that if you want to do this, here's what you need to do. Yeah, and so how I, t- I, I uh, thread that together with something else you said earlier, Jeff, is that you're basically that pro that you're engaging is the future that you want to work backwards from. They represent or yep. know that future that you want to work backwards from. Yeah. Yep, and hopefully we'll talk about that later because that person has become what it is that you would like to become, which is where your life, I think, really takes on greater meaning and purpose and fulfillment when you become. Yeah, we, we got just a couple minutes before we, before we go on to our, our next and final break, and I do want to talk about that because it gets to identity, but um, and identity has been something that I've been investigating for a lot of years in relation to the meaning and work stuff, so I, I definitely want to spend some time chatting about that, but just really quick before we go on break, say a little bit about that to kind of cue us up, and then we'll get, it, get more into it after the break, if you would. Please, Jeff. Hmm. All right, how can I be brief? Because I've clearly shown no ability to do so. Um, <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> um, the, the idea for, for most of the, the successful people that I've talked to, they don't see themselves as people who do things anymore. They see themselves who are those things. So Kirk Hammett, the Metallica guitarist, he started out, and he, this is what he will say, he started out being a guy who played guitar. Now he is a musician. He thinks of himself as a musician. He sees himself as, the, as a part of the musician community, and it has become part of his identity. And we'll talk about this after your break, but the, the cool thing about that is when something becomes your identity, then it's almost like you don't need motivation to do it because it has become part of who you are. Probably the best example for that is if you're a parent, do you need motivation to take care of your kids? You know, do you need to be motivated to get them out of bed in the morning and and take care of them? No, that's what you do. You're a parent. You're not a person who parents. You are a parent. And so... If that, if that is foreshadowing enough, that, that I think is a really important thing for people where you actually get to the place where you don't need motivation. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great cliffhanger. Hold that thought, Jeff, because I'll chime into it as well. Time for a break. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Jeff Hayden, who is the author of the newly released The Motivation Myth, How High Achievers Really Set Themselves Up to Win. He joins us today from Virginia Beach, Virginia. After the break, we'll, we'll hear more about this whole notion of becoming versus doing. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. 
To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning, healthy living power hour, Star Style. Be the star you are with host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan, live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise. A-L-I-S-E at EliseCortez.com Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Jeff Hayden, who is a speaker, ghostwriter, LinkedIn influencer, contributing editor of Inc. Magazine, and the author of the newly released The Motivation Myth, How High Achievers Really Set Themselves Up to Win. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So before the break, Jeff, you and I were chatting a bit about this notion of, of distinguishing not doing something, but actually actually becoming something. And I told you I was going to share my, I've got two takes. There's many things I could say about that for myself. But one of them is that over the years, I've been saying that I have been doing this activity called research. I've been doing this thing where I've been investigating how people find meaning in their work as it relates to their sense of self. Well, now I I, I've come to recognize I've become and am further becoming a social scientist. So that's what I say now. I'm a social scientist. And I, I used to also say that I did consulting work. I did, I did organizational consulting, et cetera. That's what I did for work. And, and really now I see myself, I'm a management consultant. That's, that's who I am. And there's something that's very distinguishing about how you, how you show up when you're in that different space. Can you say a little bit more about that? Sure. That's, it's a, those are perfect examples, and, and I'll, I'll do one that's not professional, when, and I'll do the bike thing. Again, when I first started riding bikes, I felt like a guy who was out riding bikes, but I worked at it some, got a little fitter, got, a little better, got in a little better shape, finally went on a ride with a few other people, felt really awkward and out of place and like I didn't belong. But in time, as I got a little better, I started to say, wait a minute, I'm, you know, I'm part of this. They accepted me as part of their group. I became a cyclist. Not not a professional, but a cyclist nonetheless, not a guy who rode bikes. 
and that is a huge thing in terms of confidence and feeling of community and identity. Um, and there's you you mentioned research. There's this cool study that some researchers did where they took three groups of people and they they wanted them to start a fitness program. And so they gave two of the groups a coping strategy. If they felt like their willpower was flagging and they didn't want to work out today, one group was told to say, I can't miss a workout. Another group was told to say, I don't miss mm. workouts. Mm. And the third group was told nothing. They had no coping strategy. So at the end of this period, what's funny about it is that eight out of ten of the people that were I don't stuck with the program. Three out of ten of the people that had no coping strategy whatsoever stuck with the program. And only one out of ten of the I can't stuck with the program. And it, it leads to, to an interesting conclusion, because when you say, I can't, what you're really doing is opening up a negotiation with yourself. <laughs> you know, like, I can't have that <laughs> Well, I kind of could, you know, because tomorrow if I work out or tomorrow if I don't do this or don't do that. And so suddenly you have to use willpower in order to push aside that piece of cake. Whereas if you say, you know, I don't eat dessert. Let's just use that as an example. Well, then it's an identity thing. Then it's who you are. So it's like, do parents have to say, I don't neglect my kids? Well, hopefully not, but that's an identity thing. Or if it's a boss and you say, you know, I don't treat my employees poorly. Okay, not that I can't, but I don't, or I don't act unethically, or I don't whatever it is. If it's a don't, what you're saying is, that's not who I am, and that's an identity thing, and that means you have become that. And so that whole process is really cool of becoming because if you're first put into a leadership position and you're a supervisor, for a while you're a person who supervises. But at some point, if you work at it and gain some skill and experience, you become a leader, and you see yourself as a leader. And then if you go into other roles, you feel confident because while you may not know the functions, you know how to lead and you are a leader. So that whole idea of becoming is a really powerful thing. And what's cool about it is that you can become anything you want as long as you, we're back to process again, but if you follow a process that allows you to gain some skill and some achievement, you wake up one day and you realize that, hey, I have become this thing. And that is a huge source of motivation. Because it's fun to be that. And at some point, you don't even think about it. It's just what you do. Mm-hmm. I got to chime in with two things on that really delicious conversation there, Jeff. Thank you. Um, first, because I have been studying identity for a long time, I know the process. I know the, the formulation aspects of, of identity. And I know the function of it. One of the major functions of identity is it drives behavior. And that's mm-hmm. why it's so powerful. And that's what you're getting at, right? It drives behavior. So I I think of myself as a runner. Well, if I'm a runner, that means whether I want to really or not, I'm going to get up on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturday mornings, and I'm going to run because that's who I am. Yeah, runners run, and I guess I'm a runner, so I guess that means i got to get up and run. Um, There's something really powerful about that when we can claim that for ourselves, as you said earlier, and I think it's so important for our listeners to get that. So that's the first thing, if you don't mind. The second thing that I want to chime in on that is I think I told you when we first spoke that I had just finished reading Matthew Kelly's book called Perfectly Yourself. And what he yep. really gets at, there's, there's many, there's many uh, great takeaways from that book, but one of them is, is just become the best version of yourself. 
And that will drive so much of goodness in your life. It'll drive success. And, and also, of course, in my interest, and that's the next thing I want to talk about, it also drives purpose. And I think that's really, really compelling. So those are a couple of things that I got from what you just said there. Anything you want to chime back on that? Well, there's a, that, that raises an interesting point about work. Let's say you're, you have a job and there are certain functions you have to perform, and some of them you like and some of them you don't necessarily like. But if you can take a look at your job and say, okay, these are the things I have to do, but what about these things contribute to either a goal I have or a skill I want to learn or a way that I want to help people or whatever the things that are important to you? If you look hard enough, you can almost always find those avenues where you can blend a company's goals for you with your personal goals, you know, especially if you're in a leadership position, because if, if you're a person who just wants to help people, you know, the leadership position is the perfect place to do that because you get to develop people, you get to mentor people, you get to help them achieve their goals and dreams, you get to do all that cool stuff. So in that setting, even if you are told, here's your job and here are the things you need to do, if you look hard at it and find places where you can express some of your goals and interests, then like you said, you get to be a better version of yourself. And over time, maybe you get to that place where you are the best version of yourself. And that, again, is a really cool place to be. And you don't have to be, you know, the, you don't have to be in total charge of your everyday actions in order to pull that off. Uh, you know, it's so great about this. So in the research that I did, one of the things I looked at, Jeff, was I looked at how people experience meaning in their work, and I looked at how, how it related to their sense of identity. And what I found was people could, their, their, the way they experience meaning in their work could be in sync or resonate with, with themselves. It could also be, work could be a way to express, you know, them, themselves and their identities. And work could be a way to inform their sense of self. So what I think I just heard you say there is when people can kind of find a way to unite their own purpose with that of their, their companies, there's, there's some creation that goes on there. Then that's, a, that's sure. an interesting new take there. And I, I find that to be another great empowering tool that you just gave our audience, right? We can actually co-create that meaning and purpose within our work. Yeah, and you could do it in a very mundane way. If you take me, I, I write for Inc., and I, you know, I write about entrepreneurs, small businesses, small business people. But if you think about that, those are all just people. And so the subjects you can write about are actually pretty broad. So I, you know, I took some time to build up my base and, and hopefully build up some notoriety. And then I looked around and said, what am I interested in and what things could I learn about or experience that readers would also enjoy and learn from? And so I went from a guy who was kind of just writing sort of what I was told to or, you know, stuff that I thought I should to being able to look around and say, what, you know, what's interesting to me <laughs> and what, what will I get out of this too? And so I've gotten to this cool place where I get to experience things, see things, talk to really neat people, learn new stuff. I get to do all those things and it's also my profession to do so. And while I know that's hard in some jobs to pull that off, there are possibilities, I think, within every job to be able to do that. I long ago worked in manufacturing and started out at the very lowest level of a, of a plant and didn't really like the job, but I looked around and said, okay, but what I really want to do is I would like to run a plant someday. So what do I have to do to get there? And so the first thing I did was realize that, okay, i got to get promoted, <laughs> so I better be better than everybody else at what I do. And just committing myself to saying, I'm going to be better than everybody and I'm going to volunteer for the stuff nobody volunteers for. I'm going to do the things that nobody else wants to do. 
that was actually really fulfilling, and it set me apart, and it helped me move along. So there, I guess my point is that there are all kinds of ways within whatever your job or role is that you can actually find your own purpose, and at the same time, accomplish what your company wants you to accomplish, because you still have to do that. But if you can align those, then life is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of that, Jeff, one of the things I wanted to be sure and ask you, and we're getting darn close to having to, to, to conclude the show, but uh, you know, on the heels of talking about becoming something, you were this plant manager, you ran this plant for, for several years, and I've heard you also say that today, your office is your backpack. I love that phrase. <laughs> How did you get into this whole writing thing anyway? Well, I, I married well. Um, and I don't mean in terms of money necessarily, although um, I, I married well that way too. But the, I, I got tired of manufacturing and I got tired of that role and wanted to do something else. And my wife was very encouraging and said, then what do you really want to do? And I decided that I wanted to write. And I had never really done that. And I had no credentials that would cause me to think that I could do so. And she said, you know what, take a year, work your butt off. If you get to the other end and you don't think there's a future in this, you can always go back to what you were doing, but why not try? And so I knew it wouldn't be easy, and for a while I did both. So I would write at night, I would write on the weekends while I still did my job, got to a place where I thought I could give it a go, and did so, and just committed to, if this is going to work, I have to figure it out, and I have to do what it takes. Um, And then at some point, you've paid your dues. And you can start to expand, and you can do what I just talked about a little bit ago. Um, but at first, it was just very much a, I'll do anything that I have to do. Um, and that's a, I don't know, that to me is a very empowering thing. People look at a job and they say, wow, I don't want to have to do these things because they're hard, or I shouldn't have to. If you flip that around and say, I'm going to do these things because they are hard, and because I don't have to, because that will set me apart and that will get me skills that other people don't have and that will get me experiences other people don't have and that will make me, like you said, a better me. If you flip it around and do that, then you can go to some really great places. If you just get rid of that I shouldn't have to and flip it around and say, you know what, I want to because nobody else will and that will instantly set you apart. Mm-hmm. Well, I love that. Um I would just really quick, I want to comment what you said before, the importance of association, that being your wife, a high quality person who's actually encouraging you, oh, empowering yeah, you. I mean, that, well, <laughs> marrying great is a fantastic thing. I'm married um, and, so far over my head. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. Um, and the second thing that you said that's so important is the commitment piece, right? Once we commit ourselves to something, there's something about that that just it pulls for us, and I, th- I think that's really important to, to be able to distinguish how, how when we commit and really pour ourselves into something, we can, we can start to see some results. Well, and I'd like to, really briefly, I'd like to just say that whenever you try something new that's hard, it's really hard at first, and it feels defeating, and so if, like we use my marathon example, if you decide you want to run a marathon someday, but you never run, and you go run that first mile, and it's hard, and you think about running 26 and go, wow, I'm just going to quit... Whenever you try something new, the commitment you have to make to yourself is that you're going to give it, let's say, a week or a week and a half, and you're going to do whatever your process is, even if it's hard. Give it that time, because by the time you get to the end of the week or week and a half, you will see some little improvements that you will not have seen that first day or two that will make you say, hey, wow, I'm, I'm better than I was. This is actually kind of starting to work. That's really cool. I've become something that I was not, even if it's just a tiny bit. 
that will then get you that motivation that you need to keep going. So whenever you pick up something new you want to do, you have to give it at least a week or a week and a half. At least commit to that. And you can do anything for a week or a week and a half. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> we Jeff, can all is, do that. That is you a know? great way but, to finish the show. We're out of, and we're out of time. So quickly finish your, your thoughts. Sorry, we're out of time. Go for it real quick. Oh, I was just going to say, that's, that's what gets you over that hurdle. So commit to okay. a week or a week and a half. Pop your head up and realize that, wow, I've done something really cool. I love that. That is a great way to finish. And Jeff, I have loved every moment of this conversation. Thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you. I'm just, I'm only disappointed that it's over. Uh, me too. Well, uh, listeners, if you want to learn more about Jeff Hayden and all he's been up to, visit his website. It's jeffhayden.com. So J-E-F-F-H-A-D-E-N.com. And join us next week when we talk with Kimo Kippen, who is an advocate for lifelong learning and talent development. He is the former chief learning officer and vice president of global workforce initiatives at Hilton, where he was responsible for creating lifelong learning solutions for Hilton's hundreds of thousands of employees worldwide. We'll be talking about some of the lessons he's learned in his long distinguished career and a few key workforce trends he thinks are especially important to pay attention to for all of us. See you then. Remember that work is at least one third of our life, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work.